All right, welcome back once again to the Counter Vortex with your ranter, Bill Weinberg, ranting at you in the wee hours of January 8th from my apartment on Manhattan's Lower East Side. And, uh, well, I guess the big um, update since my last rant a week and change ago is that I finally managed to get uh, tested for COVID-19 after a fruitless effort of um, a few weeks. My symptoms now have uh, largely abated. I'm still coughing a little bit, but not very much. Apart from that, I really feel okay. Knock on wood. <clears throat> but there must be a big backlog at the uh, City Health and Hospitals Corporation, and particularly the hospital that I went to, because I still haven't gotten the results. It's already been uh, three days, going on four now. So uh, we'll see. But the, uh, the process of getting tested, of course, turned into the, um, you know, the typical Kafka-esque nightmare and was actually quite uh, sort of paradigmatic uh, or symbolic of exactly what I'm going to be ranting about tonight. Well, the first thing I did three days ago is I, uh, I went to the van which had been set up by some mysterious private outlet, some private laboratory. I failed to get the name, unfortunately, but not by the city health department, as I had initially uh, assumed. This was outside of um, Tompkins Square Park along 7th Street here in the Lower East Side. And I waited in the cold for um, 20 minutes, only to find that you can't take the test there unless you have a smartphone that they can scan with their sinister little device to put you in their system. And finally, when it was my turn in line and I got to the van and I told them I had no smartphone, they reacted like I was speaking an obscure dialect of Venusian. Like they just had no comprehension of how it was possible that I could not have a, have a, a smartphone. So, what BS. And actually, you know, I'm kind of glad I didn't do it there ultimately. First of all, because uh, I never heard of this lab before. I'm not entirely sure that I can trust their work. And uh, secondly, after I was waiting online, I noticed that um, the sign at the little table where you're supposed to set up where you have to swipe with your cell phone, which, of course, I don't have, uh, the sign said, um, no money out of pocket. Now, I thought that all the tests were supposed to be free, but there's some equivocation in the phrase, no money out of pocket as opposed to merely no money. So does that mean that they're going to charge you like after the fact? And after they have, uh, you know, all of your information from uh, scanning your, your, your smartphone, you know, then you're going to be hit with a bill for the test? So it smelled like a scam to me. So I hopped on my bike and I went down to uh, Gouverneur Hospital, about 10 blocks to the south, down on Madison Street and had to wait again in the cold, this time for like 40 minutes. But at least there, they don't discriminate against me for not having been absorbed by the cellular Borg. And at least there, it actually is a public city hospital which is doing the work, and hopefully, you know, we can place a little greater trust in them than in some, uh, you know, private fly-by-night outfit that just set out a van. I submit that the city authorities need to... Um, bring these private testing outlets under greater scrutiny and regulation. And all these people out there who are, you know, complaining that they're being discriminated against because they can't go into a restaurant unless they've been vaxxed. 
well, I feel like I'm being discriminated against if I can't get tested for COVID-19 unless I carry a smartphone. Since when did smartphones become mandatory? I'm sorry, I missed the memo. And once again, it's just indicative of me of how completely out of whack everything is. All these people are protesting having to get vaxxed. Nobody's protesting having to carry a cell phone. So out of whack. And you know, I've been ranting for the past few weeks, for the past few podcasts, about the the large overlap between the anti-vaxxers and the mask resistors and the Trumpian far right, and even in Europe, neo-Nazi right. And a big part of the, uh, you know, the common thread, which is uniting these two toxic tendencies, is, uh, you know, this nostalgia for the dystopian and oppressive status quo ante of, uh, you know, pre-pandemic normality or as it is all too often rendered, normalcy. But it isn't just the, uh, you know, the far-right wing nuts who are talking about this, and it isn't just the anti-maskers and anti-vaxxers. Everybody, the whole notion of um, <clears throat> a return to normalcy is being normalized in a very dangerous way. Just today, contributing columnist Matt Bai has got a... Uh, an opinion piece in the Washington Post with the extremely annoying headline, it's time to let go of the culture war over the virus and stand up for normalcy. Now, to his credit, he has no truck with the anti-vaxxers, but he closes by warning that, uh, you know, Biden could be weakened by a new wave of lockdowns that will destroy his party quote-unquote, and um, asserting that this is no longer the kind of public health crisis that should derail our schooling and our jobs, quote-unquote. Okay, I'm not sure how that assertion squares with um, such headlines as these from this same week. January 4th saw highest number ever of Colorado COVID hospital admissions. Denver hospitals already near capacity as Omicron threatens to knock out more staff. COVID patients overwhelm hospitals in Colorado yet again. And you know, I have to emphasize here that nobody is more alienated than I am by the whole notion that, uh, you know, everything has got to be done through mediated by uh, digital technology, through Zoom, and we can't ever do anything in real life anymore. Nobody's more alienated about it than I am. I can guarantee you that. The eclipse of real life by mediated digital pseudo-reality, is in itself a massive dystopia, which is facing the human race. But pretending that there isn't actually a century health crisis going on does not help. We are not always faced with pleasant choices in this world. And as we go deeper and deeper into, you know, the general social, cultural, ecological collapse on on a global scale which is what the human race is looking at now, our choices are going to become more and more unpleasant, more and more proscribed. Sorry, it's just the reality. But I find all this talk about a return to normalcy, quote unquote, to be so irksome on multiple levels. And I'm going to start by noting that the word normalcy 
doesn't exist, okay? It's a malapropism. It's not a word. The word is normality. Now, back in 1920, when Warren G. Harding was running for the presidency on a, uh, you know, a campaign promise of, um, <clears throat> and theme of his campaign of, you know, quote-unquote, return to normalcy after World War I and the uh, flu pandemic of 1918, he was laughed at. His use of this pretentious malapropism, normalcy, almost cost him the presidency. And today, absolutely everybody says normalcy. And the, the correct word, normality, is virtually being abandoned. That's how much our culture has deteriorated over the past century. So all of you people who say normalcy, do you say, instead of normality, do you say conformancy instead of conformity? Do you say longevity instead of longevity? Do you say responsibility instead of responsibility? Look, the rule is very simple. Nouns ending in C-Y come from adjectives ending in T. So we get pregnancy from pregnant and complacency from complacent and hesitancy from hesitant while adjectives ending in L take the I-T-Y suffix. Hence, functionality from functional, conventionality from conventional, actuality from actual, personality from personal, and normality from normal. Stop normalizing normalcy. It's not a word. It's a malapropism. And, you know, all of you so-called descriptionists out there who are going to tell me that um, if the error becomes sufficiently widespread, it ceases to be an error. How come people only make this dangerous argument about language? Nobody ever makes this, this, this argument about mathematics. If everybody suddenly decided that 2 plus 2 equals 5, would that make it so? It's an error. But, of course, you know, my real point here is political. This, uh, you know, imperative, this, this seeming imperative, false imperative, I would say, this urge for a return to normality is exactly the problem. All of the actual political opportunities, the, the, the unprecedented political opening which was represented by the paralysis of industrial civilization a year and a half ago when the pandemic first hit and the lockdowns hit in, is now all being squandered. The opportunity for a cash conversion from fossil fuels that was posed by the 2020 pandemic-induced economic paralysis when already depressed oil prices actually went negative is now being squandered. Oil prices are again rising with the return to pre-pandemic dystopian normality. All right, I'm going to go over some, uh, some news clips that I've been saving up for the past several weeks. Okay, you'll recall how I uh, noted on this podcast back at the uh, peak of the paralysis a year and a half ago, or actually going on 
going on two years ago now, would have been March, April of 2020, that oil prices had actually gone negative. That is to say, it cost more to get the stuff to market than the oil companies could, you know, get a return for at the pump. Well, contrast that with this clip from the Hill website, a reference to Capitol Hill, of course, of November 23rd, 2021. Biden administration to release 50 billion barrels of oil from strategic reserves. The Department of Energy will release 50 billion barrels of oil from the nation's strategic petroleum reserves. The White House announced as the Biden administration seeks ways to control rising costs at the pump. The announcement was made in concert with China, India, Japan, South Korea, and the United Kingdom, which will also tap into their own strategic reserves. Okay, and from a week earlier, November 15th, EcoWatch website, Biden admin set to proceed with largest offshore oil and gas lease in U.S. history. The Biden administration will oversee the largest offshore oil and gas lease in U.S. history. The sale will make more than 80 million acres in the Gulf of Mexico available for drilling. That's an area larger than the state of New Mexico. Not New Jersey, New Mexico. And it would add 1.1 billion barrels of oil and 4.4 trillion cubic feet of natural gas to global production over the coming decades. Despite the fact that scientists agree we must rapidly reduce greenhouse gas emissions in order to avoid the worst impacts of the climate crisis. While the administration says it was forced to go ahead with the sale by a court decision, environmental activists argue it could have done more to fight back. The sale comes the week after the COP26 climate conference concluded in Glasgow, during which Biden promised the U.S. would, quote, lead by the power of our example, end quote, and reduce emissions by around 50 percent of 2005 levels by 2030. The sale was scheduled in September after a judge blocked Biden's moratorium on oil and gas leasing on public land. The administration had postponed lease sales scheduled for March, but 13 states, including Louisiana, sued, and a judge ruled in July that the administration had skipped important steps in implementing the moratorium. The administration said in August that it would appeal the ruling, but continue with the sale. Okay, you remember back... uh, In the spring of 2020, I had noted that uh, for the first time in decades, the Himalayas had become visible from northern India instead of being obscured by smog. Compare this from the BBC of November 17th. Delhi smog. Schools and colleges shut as pollution worsens. Authorities in the Indian capital, Delhi, have shut all schools and colleges indefinitely amid the worsening levels of air pollution. A toxic haze has smothered Delhi since the festival of Diwali. The levels of PM2.5, tiny particles that can clog people's lungs, in Delhi are far higher than the World Health Organization's safety guidelines. Several parts of the city recorded figures close to or higher than 400. I'm assuming that means parts per million, which is categorized as severe. A figure between 0 and 50 is considered good, 
and between 51 and 100 is satisfactory, according to the Air Quality Index, or AQI. Some schools had already shut last week because of pollution, and the Delhi government said it was mulling over a lockdown to improve air quality as dense clouds of smog engulfed the city. Well, there's something to think about in the whole, uh, you know, debate over um, school closures and lockdowns here in the United States. Okay, you remember how I noted back in March or April of 2020 that despite the pandemic, the overall death rate in the United States had dropped because people were staying off of the roads and the number of traffic accidents had plummeted. Contrast this. Reuters, October 28th, U.S. traffic deaths soar 18% in 2021 to highest first half since 2006. U.S. traffic deaths soared by 18.4% in the first six months of 2021 from the same period a year earlier for the most deadly first half on American roads since 2006, the Transportation Department said. There's your normalcy, folks. You can take your normalcy and shove it. Okay, perhaps you've noticed that our new mayor here in New York City, Eric Adams, is a, you know, a huge booster for cryptocurrencies and Bitcoin and wants to, to stake the city's whole economic future to this. It absolutely amazes me that he can get away with this talk in light of this. From CNN Business, November 16th, Bitcoin falls as China takes aim at extremely harmful, quote-unquote, crypto mining. And I need to interject here that, boy, do I hate the use of the word mining in the context of cryptocurrency. It's another malapropism. Bitcoins are not dug out of the ground. They are not mined. And given that they are coins, quote unquote, which of course they aren't, <laughs> but given that they've, you know, appropriated the word coin, the appropriate, you know, word from the realm of real life to apply to the production of bitcoins would not be mining, it would be minting. Why don't they say crypto minting instead of crypto mining? I mean, it would still be totally annoying, but it would be less annoying, at least. I mean, of course, they aren't literally minted any more than they're literally mined. But at least it would make some sense on a metaphorical level. Mining doesn't make any sense at all. Ugh. Anyway, Bitcoin falls as China takes aim once again at extremely harmful crypto mining. Chinese authorities are ramping up a crackdown on crypto mining, calling it an extremely harmful, quote-unquote, practice that threatens to jeopardize the country's efforts to reduce carbon emissions. The National Development and Reform Commission spokesperson Meng Wei blasted Bitcoin mining during a press conference in Beijing. She said that activity, quote, consumes lots of energy and produces lots of carbon emissions. Meng said the NDRC, the country's top economic planner, will launch a full-scale clampdown on cryptocurrency mining. She also said that crypto production and trade produces 
prominent risks, quote unquote, and blasted the industry as, quote, blind and disorderly, end quote. But Eric Adams wants to bring it here to New York. Gee, thank you, Mayor. Thank you, Your Honor. When the totalitarian dictatorship of the People's Republic of China is taking a more progressive position than New York goddamn city, you know you're in big trouble. And finally, get this one from uh, Simple Flying, trade publication of the aviation industry, January 7th, Ghost Flights, How Airlines Keep Their Slots at Congested Airports. At the beginning of the pandemic, reports came in about how airlines were operating empty or near-empty planes back and forth in order to avoid losing their much-coveted airport slots. The 80-20 use-it-or-lose-it rule was relaxed in March 2020. Now the European Union requires that 50% of slots be used for the carrier not to lose them for the upcoming season. However, with other slot-eager carriers waiting in the wings, that is not enough to prevent so-called ghost flights. A few days ago, the Lufthansa Group said it could be forced to, right, forced, uh-huh, forced. Who exactly is forcing them? They're making a choice. Could be forced to operate the equivalent of 18,000 empty flights throughout the winter season to keep its most, much valued airport slots. Regulators eased up on the 80% use it or lose it slot rules early in the pandemic, but reintroduced a 50% minimum in February last year. With the rapid spread of the Omicron variant and subsequent drop in demand, airlines are again cutting schedules and capacity. However, slot rules remain at 50-50, and the EU is facing increasing pressure to re-relax regulations in order to cut down on unnecessary so-called ghost flights. It absolutely boggles the mind that this is happening in the midst of all of the empty hand-wringing about climate change. The whole damn system is just so deeply, inexorably out of whack that you don't even know where to begin. It needs to be shut down and reconceived from top to bottom. There does indeed need to be a so-called Great Reset in this term, which all the anti-vaxxers and so on are so paranoid about. Now, what I mean by the Great Reset is probably very different from what, you know, the people in the uh, corridors of power mean when they bandy about the term. But nonetheless, we certainly do need a Great Reset. And I don't think it's any coincidence that these, uh, you know, um, peddlers of denialist disinformation about COVID-19 massively overlap with the peddlers of denialist disinformation about climate change. Most obviously, just because she happens to be in the news, because her Twitter account was suspended this week, the extremely wacky and reactionary Georgia representative Marjorie Taylor Greene. And the connection here is that these people have everything invested in preserving the unsustainable and oppressive status quo of profligate fossil fuel use and resource despoilation. The return to normality 
needs to be opposed and resisted urgently. Say no to normality. Stop normalizing normality. And above all, say no to normalcy and stop normalizing normalcy. And I'm going to go out by quoting the immortal words of the legendary Canadian folk singer, Bruce Coburn. The trouble with normal is it always gets worse. Boy, that song that he wrote way back in 1983 has certainly been vindicated. Okay, this has been the Counter Vortex with uh, your ranter, Bill Weinberg. Check us out online at countervortex.org, where everything I've been ranting about is all documented and hyperlinked. Please support us on Patreon, patreon.com slash countervortex. Join the countervortex. Join the resistance. And rant on you next time.